the privilege to sing about it and to worship Him and in our lives to uh, live that out for, for others to see. started a series last week on, on Don't Quit, and early on in the week I was uh, preparing for Sunday, and then of course, then, of course, Karen, Karen passed away, and Wednesday night, in the middle of the night, my son decided that, you know, he had some growing pains. I don't know why they're always in the middle of the night, um, but uh, they were, it's the middle of the night, and and Lord just kept me up thinking about Lucretia and Asha, and of course, now Dave, and, and just those that are hurting, and um, those that really not necessarily are hurting with just death. And God began to put a message on my heart in the middle of Wednesday night. And, and uh, I, I believe this is exactly what the Lord would have me to, have me to share this morning. And it's from 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, if you turn there, please. And if you are going to use the, the Bible there in the seat in front of you, it would be page 563. 563, and this morning is going to be a generalized message that certainly is very applicable for our church right now, but I believe it's something that you and I, um, God gave me to share with us. When I say, like, for those of you that maybe haven't been to church in a while or not used to church, when God gave me, it's more so God just impresses upon uh, my heart in prayer and reading of the word, um, what he would have me to share. But uh, this morning I want to I share and I'm going to do my best to get through it. And uh, the, the Lord's been faithful this week, of course, to um, be able to help me through speaking opportunities. Uh, but the title is How to Help Hurting People. How to Help Hurting People. There's, there's going to be people all around your life that are going to be hurting at different times. And what do you do? How do you help them? I was with Dave on Wednesday, of course, for a couple hours, and as I dropped him off at his car, that cliche statement came out. And please forgive me, Dave, for have sharing this story, but I said, Dave, hey, if there's anything you need, let me know. And I mean, and as raw and as, as loving as he could say, it was just like, I don't even really know what I need right now. Like, you know, what does that mean? And and uh, is, is, isn't that for real? Sometimes you just, you just don't even know what to say. And so this morning, by the grace of God, I, wanna, I want us to, as a church, really learn how to help hurting people. And uh, I believe this text can be uh, a help to you. It's been, it's been an immense help to me. And uh, I, believe that, uh, I, I believe the Lord will, will definitely help us this morning. A few years ago, um, I picked up one of my friends in La Honda, uh, which is just kind of uh, up over beyond uh, Skyline Boulevard up there. And uh, we were getting ready to go to lunch at Alice's. Have you ever eaten at Alice's before, right up there? If you haven't, you need to try it. It's way overpriced sandwiches, but they're good, okay? And uh, we were heading up there, trying to bring a little levity to this morning. So um, just laugh at every one of my jokes, okay, please? Okay, that was one of them. Thank you. Uh, but no, I picked up, picked up one of my friends up there and Lived, lived in La Honda, uh, they no longer live in the area or even uh, go to the church here, but, um, and uh, we were on our way to, uh, to lunch, so you kind of probably have another 15 minute or so drive back up to Alice's up there at the top of Woodside and Skyline, and, and I asked him, I said, hey, how you doing, man? And his response was, my mom is a, my mom's a heroin addict, and 
and I feel like killing myself right now. How does that sound? How do you think I'm doing? You know, looking back, that was a very pivotal point in a kind of a journey that I'd been on uh, for some time. And all around me, friends were experiencing difficulties. They were experiencing frustrations and pressures with life. While some of my friends worked things out in a healthy manner, many others were unable to do so and resulting in isolation and, um, you know, desperation and depression. Have you ever asked yourself this question? I want to help. I want to do something. But what? I mean, I want to. I want to help that person. And obviously, we can we can take it to the three individuals in our church right now that are being racked with mourning the loss of a loved one. But just kind of in reality of just everyday life, I want to help that person. I want to. I want to do something. But what is it that they need? What is it that? Well, what is it that we can do? Well, during this time of uh, with my friend here, I begin to ask myself, well, how can I? How can I help him? How can I, how can I help my friends? Many of them were struggling, and they were kind of really throughout the country. And I began to tell myself, well, I'm not a, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a, I'm not a psychiatrist. Certainly I can give counsel, and I'm blessed to be able to do that to the great people here at Redwood. But, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a professionally trained therapist, and I, I want to help. I want to do something. But what? And there are people that are around you who are going through difficult times. They need encouragement. They need, they need support. They need love and compassion. And so here's the good news. You can offer consolation in a real and a tangible way. The story of Elijah here, uh, as the Lord began to impress this upon my heart, I just I really couldn't shake it on, uh, on Wednesday night as I was thinking about these, of course, um, people in our church. But it really teaches us how to, how to help those that are hurting. It's an account of Elijah, uh, the prophet, describing a time when he battled depression, describing a time where he felt like the end was near and there was nothing that he could do, maybe where his heart really wasn't beating and he, and he, wanted, he wanted life back into him. And we see how even thoughts of suicide crept in and we see how the Lord intervened in the life of Elijah. And through this narrative, I think you and I can see how the Lord helped him and I want us to kind of just take our time this morning and kind of look at the story here of Elijah. But before we get into the immediate context in which we're going to glean from, we got to do a little bit of kind of historical background here a little bit. And so you and I can kind of understand what's going on. And uh, we're going to pick up in verse number 17 of First Kings. If you don't have a Bible, the, the words will be up on the screen. And it says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he, being Elijah, answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. There had been, uh, been a drought in the land. Verse number, that was judgment of God. Verse number 19. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And so you've got like a, you've got a little wager getting ready to set here. 
Uh, Elijah wanted to prove that the God of Israel, that Yahweh, Jehovah, was the God of the world and not all these other little man-made, worshipped, um, you know, man-created gods were. And so uh, he's kind of a challenge is beginning to set up. He said, hey, I want, you to, I want you to bring all your prophets. I want you to bring all of your, your ministers to, uh, your, uh, to, to, to your religion, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove that Jehovah is the God of heaven. And we see in verse number 21, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under it. And call ye on the name of your gods, or Baal and his gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. And so Elijah's before the people and saying, hey, who are you going to serve? It's time, to, it's time that you choose. You, you kind of can't, you, you can't be serving more than one God. Either it's going to be the God, the Baal and his gods, or it's going to be Jehovah God. And so he has this, he has this kind of, you know, this, this test or this kind of, kind of picture, kind of a little bit of a game show or so to speak. And so what they do is they, 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 they build an altar and he says, here, put a bullock on there, put an animal on there. And if you can call fire down from heaven, then we're going to worship Baal. We're going to worship your God. And so all the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them, they began doing their chants. When you kind of go down through the text, they cut themselves. They're doing all kinds of dancing. And, you know, Elijah, he's kind of in the back, kind of a little snarky. He's like, you know, maybe your God's just asleep, you know, kind of playing jokes with them. And nothing happens. No fire falls. And now it's time for Elijah. Elijah repairs the altar, the Bible says, and he takes 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel, and he puts that, he puts that animal up on that altar, and he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get four barrels of water, dug a trench around uh, his repaired altar, and he said, I want you to go get four barrels of water, and I want you to pour the four barrels of water on top of the bullock, on top of the animal. And after they did that, he said, okay, I want you to do it one more time. They go, they get four barrels of water, and they pour it on. And he says, I want you to do it a third time. And by this time, the entire trench is filled with water. And he prays to the God of heaven. And you know the story if you've been in church at any length of time. Fire falls. And that fire is so consuming, it's so hot, that the bullock, the wood, even the very stones are consumed, and the very water is now licked up, the Bible says, by that fire. And so this challenge, obviously, he is victorious. And the Bible goes on to say that he literally then takes all 450 of those prophets of Baal and he slews every single one of them by the sword. Kind of gives you the understanding of chapter number 18. I mean, what a victory, right? I mean, fire from heaven. He wins. The God of heaven is the one that reigns supreme. Yes, awesome. But then you pick it up in chapter 19 and you begin to see there's a little bit of a change in Elijah and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, 
so let the gods do to me and more also. If I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So she says, I'm going to kill you just like you killed all the prophets. Verse 3, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And so again, as we begin to kind of come through this chapter, verse number chapter 19, I want to tell you there's going to be people all around you that are like Elijah's, that are going through immense difficulties. They're, 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 they're going to have all kinds of emotions. They're going to need encouragement, support, love, compassion from you. And the story of Elijah teaches us how you and I can do that for others. And they're going to be very, very practical things. Number one, Meet basic needs. You want, man, I want to do something. I want to be, I want to be a help to that, to that woman. I want to be a help to that man or even, even that child. I, I want to be a help. My heart is I want to help the hurting person. Well, start with meeting basic needs. Elijah was just like you and me. He went through emotional ups. And literally, he gets word, a letter, word to him from Jezebel. Hey, you're going to be dead by tomorrow. He's got ups, and the very next day, he's got the downs emotionally. On his highest, or excuse me, on the lowest points came after being used by God in such a mighty way. After Queen Jezebel threatens his life, Elijah, he goes on a journey into the desert. He sits down under a tree. And he's there alone, and he's requesting that he could die. Elijah, if you continue through the text, and we will here in a moment, falls asleep. And the next thing he knows, the angel of the Lord comes and wakes him up. And the angel brings him some bread for Elijah, and he supplied him with a, with a jar of water. Twice Elijah slept, and two different times the angel came to Elijah, and he and he brought him a meal. Let's look at that in verse number 5. And as he lay down and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too far for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meal forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And so from this simple, from this simple scenario, many of us know the story of Elijah. If we've been in uh, church long enough and, and we see that we learn the importance of caring for the physical needs of those that are around us. Sometimes you and I, we're, we're not sure how we can help. We're not sure exactly what they're going through. And so you and I, we begin to ask, you know, what can I, what can I do to help? Well, a good place to start is bodily provision. See, when someone's going through something that is very difficult and, and, and struggling, normal sleeping or eating patterns, you know what? They can become disrupted. And so when you notice such changes in someone's lifestyle, you know what you ought to do? Pick them up and take them out to eat. Or bring a hot meal by their house. 
Okay, Dave, you're not going to have to do anything for the next two months because everyone's going to sign up after church, okay? But no, in all reality, this is something very small, right? But it is something that you can do. It's something that just like this man was there and he was depressed and, and he's literally to, to, to the point of where he wanted to take his life. And so God intervenes and God sends an angel and he says, hey, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take you to Hey, what's your favorite restaurant? Harry's Hofbrau. Some of you love that place. Hey, take them to Harry's Hofbrau. Let me just feed you. Let me just, let me just love on you a little bit. You're hungry. You haven't been sleeping well. Let me, let me feed you. Or if you haven't been sleeping, hey, can I watch the kids for an afternoon and while you go and sleep? In this text, of course, we know that a, a, a food, food was provided. But the point is, is meet a basic need. We all could do that. We all could step in and meet someone's basic need. I told you, it's going to be practical this morning, but I think, I think it's something that can help us. Because I think we always ask the question, hmm, what can I do to help? Hey, meet a basic need. Number two, nurture with gentleness. Nurture with gentleness. In this text, after Elijah had eaten, the angel directed him to Mount Horeb where, where God was going to pass by. God was going to meet him there. And I find it so fascinating as I kind of re-looked at it through the lens with which God was working on my heart late into, or really into Wednesday morning, to how God reveals himself. It kind of indicates what Elijah needed most at that moment. Let's pick it up in verse number 9 of our text. And he came thither unto a cave, and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, God speaking to him, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And you find that after the still small voice, that is when God begins and he, he ministers to him there. God could have displayed his power. God could have displayed his majesty, his holiness. He could have revealed his strength through a powerful wind or through an earthquake or through a raging fire. Certainly he did that the day before or a couple days before, right? Actually, it's probably been 40 plus days because it took 40 days to get to Mount Horeb. But he, he could have done that. Fire could have come from heaven. Could have been an earthquake. Could have been this mighty rushing wind. Instead, God revealed himself through a gentle whisper. Clearly, what Elijah needed most was gentle, nurturing encouragement in the midst of encountering God and worshiping Him. The prophet didn't need to experience the power or the strength of God, but a gentle reminder of, I am with you, I've always been with you, and I will forever be with you. And so how do you and I apply that? We see that God, God fed him, and so you and I can apply that, hey, give him a meal. Take them out for something. Maybe watch the kids so they can get some rest or 
just take this thing and go just look at the waves crash in so they can just kind of take in God for a little bit. Meet a basic need, but then also you and I can learn how God treated Elijah with which you and I can nurture someone that is hurting with gentleness, with God's gentleness. Because gentleness builds up. Gentleness affirms. Gentleness does not, hear what I'm about to say, gentleness does not minimize the situation. Sometimes we naturally do that. Oh, hey, you'll get through this. It's not that bad. No, don't. Don't try to minimize the situation. Try not to say, I know what you're going through. Because I'll be honest with you, we don't. We don't know what they're going through. Because here's why. We might know the external circumstances that we are fully aware of and fully keen of. What you and I do not know is what is going on up here, right? Between the temples. And you, you don't know the war that is being raged in that mind on behalf of the devil and, of course, God working as well. And so you and I, let's, let's be gentle in our approach practically. You and I, we can reflect on God's nature in a very real way by becoming a good listener. Provide a refuge where that person can share his or her feelings with safety, with security, not worried about what you might think or what you might say. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time when you are trying to care for hurting people that no matter what they say, you don't bat an eye. No matter what comes your way, that you don't act shocked. How could you think that? How could you? No, 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 no. Where you and I are there in a gentle, compassionate way. And while listening to them, while they're talking, be listening for, you know, specific things. So you and I can be in continual prayer. As they, as they mention things, use that as the foundation of your, of your specific prayers. As you're listening, as they're sharing, as they're trying to articulate, sometimes it's between moments of tears and you just wait. You don't try to say, oh, I, I know what you mean. No, 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 no. Just wait. Let them cry. Let them do what they need to do. And then they will continue. And then there might be more tears. Those different times think, listen, you and I, with a gentle care, you and I listen and we pray. James says something amazing. James 5.15. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. Now I've told you this before. Sometimes when you see the word save, it doesn't always mean salvation. But it just, it, 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 it heals people. When you and I, when we can pray on behalf of other people. And the amazing thing about James 5 in that text, guess who James talks about? He talks about Elijah. It talks about the effectual, uh, fervent prayer of a, of a righteous man. And it talks about how Elijah's of like passions, just like you and I, how we get, we're just up and down, up and down. And you and I, you know what we could do? In gentleness as you are listening. Not talking. We're not there yet. Sometimes, I, I know I do this. But I also know some of you all do this too. Sometimes you can't wait to talk. That's me sometimes. It's like, you know, someone will be talking to me and um, praying for David and his family, the, the fifth fields, and uh, their family was sick. And is he telling me about their family? Is, am I actually engaged? Or am I like, okay, I went, can't wait to talk. Just saw you, brother, and I used it as an example. Sorry. But 
that's kind of what happens sometimes. Where it's like, you'll be, you'll be sharing your heart, you'll be bearing your heart, and the next word's out of that person's life, way out in left field. Here's what the reality is, is that person probably wasn't engaged in what you were saying. So you and I, obviously we can't control other people, but we can control ourselves. So we listen, gently listen. Let them bear their heart to you. Well, they're in this situation because of their sin. Stop it. Listen. Meet a basic need. Feed them. Be willing to gently listen. Are we okay? All right? Trying to help us. Trying to help me. Big time. This is what the Lord was showing me over starting Wednesday night into this week. Number three, restore hope with a new perspective. See, Elijah cries out to, to God. He feels all alone, right? He feels threatened. He feels like God gave up on him, whatever the case is. And so what God does is God gives him a new perspective. He reminds him that he's not alone. He reminds him that there's others that haven't bowed the knee. If you recall, we're going to read it here in a moment, but or I'll just kind of review. Elijah says, hey, I and I alone, I'm the only one that is, that is still holding to the truth. And God says, oh, okay, all right, all right, I'm going to listen And then I'm going to send you on a little bit of journey here. I'm going to be very gentle with you. I'm going to whisper with you. And then God begins to change his perspective. Look at verse 13. And it was so when Elijah heard it, this was that still small voice, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword and I even I am only left and they seek my life to take it away and the Lord said unto him go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus and when thou comest anoint Haziel to be king over Syria then verse 18 yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which hath not kissed him oftentimes when a person is hurting or he or she may, they, they may lose perspective. They might feel abandoned. They might feel hopelessness. And I'll be honest with you, in those moments, sometimes it's very hard to hear the voice of God saying to them, hey, I am still here. But you know what you can be? You can be the aid to that voice of God. You can be a living, breathing, speaking the promises of God into their lives This is after, of course, you have cared for their physical needs. This is after you have listened to them. After you have proven to them, listen, you've proven to them that God always takes care of them. Was that money your money to begin with when you bought them a meal, yes or no? Be careful. Is that money yours or God's? Yours. No, it's God's. I just thought I heard yours. I'm just making sure you're paying attention. It's God's, right? Everything belongs to God. And so God helped you to be able to provide a meal to them. Wow, God loves me. And then as you listen to them and you hear them out, you know what they're learning? They're learning that's exactly how God is too. We're going to get to that here in a moment. That God cares for them and that God listens to them and he, he, he's, he, he's fully aware of them. And then gently you can restore their perspective. 
Gently you can let them know that they're enemies. Someday they're going to be defeated. Certainly in this case, you can tell them that there's hope. You can tell them that there's restoration. You can tell them that, yes, the sun will rise tomorrow. But those words, the change of perspective, always helps a little bit more after we've met a physical need and after we've just given them time. We've allowed them to just listen. Now, as I conclude here this morning, I want to tell you this. I want you to never forget this. God is the healer. God is the one that is the healer. In Hebrews 4, verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Jesus, he's our great high priest. I want you to think about this. Jesus Christ right now is seated at the right hand of the Father. And why is he there? According to the book of Hebrews, one of the roles of Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's there for you. You are a believer. He is our great high priest. Jesus is seated there and he's there for you. When you pray, you ascend by faith into heavenly places where Christ is. Christ is next to the Father, and when you pray, you're next to Christ. He is there for you, and when you speak, He is there with you. When you, when you take your burden, let's say you are the one that is burdened, you are the one that is, that is struggling, and someone might not be meeting that physical need, someone might not be listening to you, someone might not be correcting your perspective, you can go to one who always hears you. You can go straight to Jesus Christ. Jesus is there endorsing your cry unto God for understanding. He's he's placing his name literally under your prayer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, Jesus Christ wants to pray with us and to have us pray with him so that we may be confident and glad that God hears us. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Because he's our great high priest. Because Jesus is there. He is for you. He's your great high priest. This text also tells us that Jesus knows what it's like to live. It says in verse 15, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. There is nothing, hear me, there is nothing that you cannot bring to Jesus. Nothing. There's nothing that you can bring to Jesus that's going to shock him. And that ought to be the same for you. Nothing that a brother or sister or someone that is hurting and that is broken will bring to you that will shock you. Jesus understands. Jesus has walked this earth. He knows what it's like to be human. Nothing surprises him. You don't need to hide anything from him. Think about the humanity of Jesus, the creator of all the world, worked with his hands in a shop. The creator of all the world was lied about. The creator of all the world was spat upon and rebuked, all those things. And he saw darkness unleashed on him like no one in this world has ever seen. He understands what it's like to be forsaken. He understands what it's like to feel alone. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As he was on that cross bearing our sin. He understands. And go to him. 
receive your help. He has a throne of grace for you. The Bible says in verse 16, let us therefore come boldly. Why? Because he's our high priest. Because he's there. Because he's our advocate. He's right next to the Father. He's speaking your prayers to the Father. When you sin and you mess up, he says, no, 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 I paid for that. So you can come boldly. Where do you go? You go to the throne of grace. I love what John Bunyan says. John Bunyan says, God has more than one throne. Oftentimes we think of God as being this, you know, this judge, you know, the the dictator of I'm going to judge the world and he's got a throne like that. But not every throne's like that. It's a throne of grace, the author of Hebrews says. Go to Jesus. He's your great high priest. He understands. He was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what it's like. And then you receive grace. And when you go to that throne, you receive help. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The story of Elijah's encouragement is a testimony that despite painful struggles, God heals people. He enables them to move forward with a life that eventually can become livable again, can eventually become healthy again. You don't have to be a professional therapist to meet them at their lowest point. You know what you have to be willing to do? Meet them at their lowest point. Got to be willing to get down there. Got to be willing to bring them a meal, just meet basic needs. I think you and I all can do that. You and I, we've got to just be willing to listen. We've got to be willing to be a praying partner as James tells us about Elijah. Praying for them as you're listening. Praying for them. And then ultimately when the time is right, when the Holy Spirit guides and directs you, you can say, hey, you're not alone. You can win in Christ. Kind of goes back to our series. He's our victor. He's our great high priest. He's there for you. So I want to ask you here this morning, different type of message I know but I just felt like it was what our church needed at this time who can you help who can you help I think we all can it doesn't take mountains of money to help people guys it just takes some couple acts of generous general kindness and time time hey can I just can I just come and hear you out Can I just bear your burden? And as they're bearing their burden, you are praying and you are gleaning the perspective that through Christ you can then begin to change. Because Elijah was wrong. Elijah wasn't the only one. And God said, hey, let me feed you. Let me deal very gently with you. And oh, by the way, you're not alone. Who can you help today? Who can you help this week? Obviously, I think all of us in our hearts, we're thinking right now, man, I can help Dave, I can help Lucretia, I can definitely help Asha. But beyond that, beyond that, who can we help? Who can we help? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to ask that question to the Lord right now. And then have the courage and the faith over the weeks to come to ask God to help you be a human agent of his helping hand in their life. Because God's the one that heals. Ask him, who will that be?
Father, I pray for those men and women that right now you put on people's hearts. Father, I pray that, Lord, you'd give us the courage to, in faith, be your voice, in faith, be your hands in that individual's life. Lord, I pray that we would realize that it, it doesn't take much to help. We've just got to be willing to meet a basic need. Give time to listen in gentleness. And then when you give the green light, to show them that they're not alone and that the help is right around the corner. And God, I pray that, Lord, we would continue to be a church that does this for not only people in these four walls, but, Lord, those that are just in our lives, the mission fields that you've placed us in. And, God, we pray for your just continued grace upon these people's lives that are suffering right now through such heartache. God, I pray that you'd be with them. I pray you'd bless our celebration service of Karen on Thursday. God, I pray that you just hug Dave and, and family. And Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for